0: and welcome to another exciting episode of the bud rebel show but this is a very unique show because i'm at my old alamado brighton university 35 years i know i look a lot younger i have two of my friends here one who graduated the same year as me and one graduated earlier i will not reveal either one until later on one is a lady named marissa and one is vinny thank you for coming to the show by the way For those who have not seen our show, The Bud Ripple Show is a very unique podcast. What it does is we bring up exciting ideas that you can't see anywhere else. That will either make you money, lose you money, or make you think. We'll have some quote snap-off facts, facts that you don't hear usually. We'll have some heartwarming stories and we'll end on a note that has you thinking. So let's get started. Since my graduation, 1988, Mr. Vin, what have you been up to?
1: Well, um, I've traveled, I've worked abroad, i worked in Asia, i worked in Latin America. Now I currently live on the west coast in Oregon. I've pretty much been in the financial world the whole time, and uh, it's been great. And lucky um, I get to come back to the east coast and visit Brian occasionally. So you moved from... I guess Rhode Island, where were you originally from? Originally from Connecticut, Eastern Connecticut. And then when I got out of Bryant, I was living in Connecticut for a number of years. And then I moved to Boston and then New York, and then from New York out to Oregon.
0: Wow, that really moved you around a lot. And eh? For those that don't know, is what's the biggest difference when you move to like Oregon from where like what well, East Coast? What's the biggest difference that you find?
1: Well, in general, you know, the West Coast tends to be a, I find it a little bit more work-life balance. Maybe because you know the weather is nice. So in the winter time, if it's five o'clock, there's stuff to do. Whereas you know when you're living in New York and it's five o'clock on a Friday afternoon, it's dark and it's cold and it's you know snowy. So there's not a lot to do. So people out there are really active year-round. So you don't see. Uh, as many people sticking around after work and so you get to enjoy yourself after hours. Right, and I, are you involved with the wine program also? Yes, the wine. Well, wine I have, I started in a wine business when I was working in Asia, uh, I started getting into wine and I spent some time in Australia, I spent some time in Chile and Argentina and so I just started getting into wine usually on the weekends when I didn't have to work I needed something else to do other than stay in the hotel room, <laughs> right? We all kind of want to venture out and so I started getting into wine so I started a wine business in 1996. Wait, so this is your
0: wine that you're going to be tasting here? Oh, this is
1: not wine. This is a mixed drink made by our colleague Dieter Kahn who is a a mixologist and importer.
0: Let's stay with the wine for a minute.
1: I'm sorry. that. So all of a sudden you decide you're going to make wine. Well, I don't make wine. I teach wine. So, a lot of people out there, you know, want to get into wine, particularly young people, right? You come yeah. out of college, you go to your first corporate dinner, right. and you're like, you know, I've only had beer in college, so people right. don't know a lot about wine. So, I teach a lot of wine events to consumers to help them feel a little bit less um, intimidated by wine. Oh, so
0: you're like an educated, you're like a class of wine.
1: Uh, they actually have wine education courses at how, a number of universities. How
0: long you teach there?
1: Uh, I teach it on the side. I, have a, I still have my job in finance during the day. And luckily, the wine business is more of an evening thing. I'm not teaching a lot of wine classes so, uh, during the daytime.
0: Okay, so if you like teaching to certain students, let's say, a little slower than others? do it catch on? Or are they all...
1: You know we <laughs> you have expert students. Well, you know there's there's some dynamics happening. I think young people uh, in the US and abroad are kind of getting more into mixed drinks and craft beers and those kinds of things. It's very cyclical. So I think the wine industry at least is wanting getting wants to get a lot more younger people in Whereas in the past, a lot of younger people got into wine, but now these other craft drinks and other things are really attracting young people. So the wine industry is trying to get young people back in to
0: drinking the industry. wines, yeah. right? Right, learn the whole thing. And Marissa, let's hear a little bit about you. You graduated at uh, a different time. I'm not telling the age, but, <laughs> but you also. Uh, Tell us about what you do. What do you come from out of college?
2: Well, coming out of college, I started out in public accounting. So I did that for a number of years and then switched career paths to corporate accounting. So instead of public, more internal. And I did that for a number of years and then I switched to leadership development and running a finance leadership development program for the Hartford. So, and that's where I retired from a couple of years ago, and now I do some career coaching on the side.
0: Oh, you do career coaching. Okay, so you're going to help change my career. If you want to change it, I can help you, I can
2: support you. All right, very good. Absolutely. If you need to change. We'll
0: find out right now. This podcast is worthy of changing my career. So, So, when you started out as accountant, and you've moved in a different direction, did you like... When you decided to change, was it like scary to change positions? In this? It,
2: it was definitely scary. I remember the first time I thought I really don't like public accounting anymore and I wanted to do something different. So I spent two years waiting for somebody to want to hire me. And um, I learned that they're not just going to hire you. Like you have to create a resume, you have to decide what you want to do, you have to take specific steps. And while that's sometimes a little scary, it was actually very empowering to t- make those types of changes in movements. Um, and so the second time I wanted to change my career, I did it with a lot more confidence in it and surety and took time off from working to actually think about um, how I wanted to live my life, what did I want the last, let's say, third of my career to be. Um, and I liked, you know, I, I assessed things that I was good at doing by getting feedback from others. Um, and their input, and it turned into leadership development and coaching others.
0: Okay, since you're my coach now, mm-hmm. I'm gonna give you guys some business ideas that came out. As I said before, these could be good, bad. Well, good, they can make you money, lose your money, or make you think. So you guys can take these ideas. One is something: as we get older in life, we don't maybe want to not really officially retire, but we also don't want to spend that much time working as much. But we, some of us, like that business grind, we want to do something. So I thought of making a senior investors group. And what we do is we take the people like you, know, you and counting, maybe someone else in marketing would come on to get together, and they would present our ideas. Sort of like that show, what's the name of the show? Everyone? Shark Tank. Shark Tank, Shark Tank. Okay. sort of like that, but we'd have a little bit more involvement in it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And what do you think of that idea? Especially with Bright College being a business college, what do you think of that idea?
2: I, I bet it's happening out there today somewhere. I mean, that's a simple, I think, way of defining like a venture capital firm uh, where people with maybe a lot of money get together and yeah this is a
0: little bit more simple it's more Mm -hmm. of like almost like a a social more sociable you get Mm -hmm. together you hang out you have drinks talk a little bit so
2: uh, recently i learned of a group that um of women in the uh eastern corner of connecticut that get together and they pu- have a pool of funds and uh, once a quarter they decide what charity they're going to contribute oh, to. wow. Yeah. yeah, and so that... The
0: whole idea of like, pooling resources together and yes. having social life. Yes. This one. Okay. It's a great thing. So, okay, but this is more... In, this is, I'm gonna, I you don't usually do this on the show, but since you said this is not that original, I'm going to give you another one. Okay, you know Wikipedia decides of your autobiography and all this stuff. I thought of an idea called Truthpedia, which would allow anybody to write their own bio. Now, people can then write what they want about you afterwards and they can check. Everything's verified, but this way, everybody has a little bio in the world and it's out there as one outlet. Comments?
2: I mean, I know you're looking at me, but um, isn't that LinkedIn? Yeah, I was was thinking the same
1: thing. (laughs) Okay. It's it's essentially...
2: Except people can't necessarily comment, although I suppose they could figure out a way to comment yeah. on it,
0: but... The difference between the Truthopedia is, this, it's actually the names very different, <laughs> but the bigger difference is it gives you a whole history. You're going to tell your life story, where I was born, what I did, where, how I grew up, or every little detail that you have, that you want to, you can put, you include anything, but you can mm-hmm. put whatever you want, as long as you want it, you buy it, as long as you want it to be. You probably could even put up little videos connected to it, mm-hmm. and the way that people check if it's true is they can put the information on it as well. So, because Truthope- Wikipedia sort of selects who's going to be chosen on it. True right. will allow everybody access to it.
2: So let me ask you this. Yes. Why would somebody want to put out their bio and all of that information about themselves? What's in it for them?
0: Well, the same reason that somebody makes a YouTube channel. <laughs> I, think, I think in a sense that people want to have their story told. Mm. And this way you can tell your story as you see it. You know, I mean, you could actually. We probably could have people write it a little bit too. But every, a lot of people want to have their story told. As you get older in life, your story gets missing, little pieces. That's one of the reasons I have my blog. But I think there's a lot of people want to have that coming out instead of just having a little piece on it. You know, and that's how Wikipedia become popular. But you can you can pay to get verified and all that other information. I think it's a way to expand your 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 take on the world. You might say.
1: Mm. It'd be interesting to know who the judges on the Truthopedia would be, right? Like, let's say I wrote something that I was in a younger, you know, I was Batman. Right. Or I was, you know, <laughs> you know uh, some type of a child actor prodigy, you know, someone would have to kind of verify that. Well, they don't you know. have to, but you can have it, your page could say either verified or not verified.
0: So you can maybe make up your own thing, right. you know? But if it's verified, then someone checks the facts and the dates and stuff right. like that. If you don't want to care about it, you can make yourself Batman right. and you what? Well, hopefully the people, people doing the fact-checking,
1: you know, but yeah, I can see where that, you know, because in a way, some people do do like video bios or people will do video wills. Mm-hmm. Um, they might not go all the way back to sixth grade, or but they'll certainly express their wishes on a video about how they want their assets to be distributed at death or, or how they love their children or, or something like that. Yeah. But I think if you go all the way back to, you know, first grade, um, you know, I guess that could be interesting uh, to certain people, right? And um, it's
0: like it can, you know, like as people's by the grandparents. So that was well, situation as time goes on, it's nice to have a little like a video a, diary or something. It's really it's that, right? right. It could be enough that two different formats.
2: Not to say to point out another thing that's already out there, kind of similar to that is um, there are books out there for grandparents to tell their story mm-hmm. to their grandchildren yeah. in a book in a book oh. and they ask questions to generate th- you know your your memories and your thoughts and you're able to oh, like yeah. write
1: and it recorded we did that with my mom she recorded um, a video book for my son when he was a baby and so, because we didn't know how long she was going to be around, so she just kind of talked about her and her life. So, in case she wasn't there when he grew up, she he'd have something. You
0: know, it's sort of like a reunion right here. You know, it's you, when you're there, and when you're graduating from college, and you're not thinking about, oh, this is going to pass. Mm. And then you, when you you're out of the college, and like all the things you might have done and said, and all, it's all gone. You know, it's, I mean, unless you I mean, well, and so it's almost like. These things pass. And you just as you're living the moment, you yeah. don't think about it, it's gonna pass. Right, right. Which is sort of said. Do you guys have any interesting Bryant moments that you want to share with us at all?
2: Well, I, you know, whenever somebody says, you know, what do you remember most about Bryant? My time at Bryant, um, besides the people that I met day one that are still my friends today, and I think that's kind of maybe a unique experience for for Bryant students. Uh, but I can name Colin and Frank and Tony and Oaks and um, Bea, uh as some of my best friends today. Um, but one of the things that we went through, those are not my sweet mates, those were the, the guys that I hung out with. Mm. Um, but we went through the blizzard of 78 and mm. the school was shut down for a week. And, you know, you how did you survive when we moved from three meals a day to two? and we
0: you were on the college and there's this the blizzard was you the there. blizzard
2: like their professors got stuck here administrators got stuck here
0: and you mean stuck mean is how much i how much talking about yeah uh,
2: i don't know six eight feet the eight whole feet? the state of uh, wow. rhode island shut down like it didn't know how to handle it
0: and you had some poison. they had to
2: fly food into us <gasps> Uh, By the end of the week and there was a lights
0: and electricity we had
2: electricity and heat and um, It was in the middle of February of 78. So the fraternities and sororities were pledging and so they were out there shoveling with the um, other the the maintenance people as part of their pledge Um, (laughs) And meanwhile, I was not a part of that. So my friends were walking down to Max's package store which was open and once a day they would bring a new keg up and we would drink it at night, and then the next day that dead keg was rolled back down to Mac's Package Store, and we would get a new one. Wow! But by the end of the week, we were eating French fries for and you know for breakfast. So that was a little.
0: That's a, interesting. So it and went on for and so you could watch like the, a week, a week that yeah, was pretty that much at, before yeah school and, reopened. And, and were you able to call people with the phones working then? I mean, are you getting in those days?
2: Honestly, I, I I guess so, but I I don't know like I. Uh, those days, I wasn't attached to my family and parents. Exactly, like, you know, exactly. oh you know, like, well, yeah, I'm alive. Yeah,
1: yeah
0: that's right. Now, how about you? Do you have any Bryan College moments that stand out? I didn't have everything yeah. as,
1: as big as that, although she we did have that. Hurricane Gloria while we were here, and I think that was in 1986. And uh, I left campus, luckily, but uh, I know a lot of people got into the, um, they had to shuffle everybody, and, you know, either into the Koffler Center, and then I think eventually they, they, they moved them into the gym. Um, but um, I had some great memories. I had a great internship in Boston, mm-hmm. um, which was with Pitney Bowes um, outside of Boston 128. So I worked there twice a week in my senior year, Mondays and Tuesdays. Uh, uh, yeah, Mondays and Tuesdays. And um, and then just the interaction, like Melissa was saying, is you know the not only the, the friends you meet, but the relationships you have with the professors and the staff. I remember the, the first person I ever met from Bryant came to my high school, and, and we maintained a relationship all the way until he passed away. Wow. You know, so I saw him here, and then while I was here, and then, and then afterwards, and, and other people like Roberta Heisel who, were, who ran the Intercultural Center here, uh, she's now retired. So it, it's wonderful. I, I think college really is about not only learning, but learning about relationships, I, learning how to get along with people. Sure. And, and also, it's a test of how to maintain those relationships because in a strange sort of way, I heard this in a movie, We've, in college, you know, we think of it as a really long period of time, but the reality is it's four years for most people. But the relationship you have with them is far longer than the college years. Well, I think the biggest you know? part
0: of college is also your networks. You meet people you get yeah. to know and stuff. You know what's interesting? When I went to this college here, I was trying to avoid politics. I was involved in some political stuff and met some bad people. But they had Amy Carter come here, and my political philosophy and Amy Carter were a little bit different. So I decided to like debate her. And the next thing I know, I'm putting t- together young Republicans of Bryant University. And the biggest supporter of mine was the biggest liberal teacher of the college. And the only reason he was excited, because at least there was some <laughs> political activism in the college. Because the college was like, you know, there was a, it was just business, business, business. So he's so excited, he like supported me, even though he disagreed with like the whole philosophy of it. But he brought it and the funny thing about that debate, I never forgot that because he got Amy Carter there, and this is a professor, very very smart, you know, much smarter than me, I would say. But he he lost the debate by one way because what happened is during the debate he said to me that was really stupid. I said I said to the professor I said professor, so this is an intellectual debate. We don't do we need to call each other names, and he actually apologized <laughs> yeah. during the debate. So That's it was, good. yeah, it was really yeah. fun. Hey, you know what's great about the college too? It was a different experience in my my suite, and it makes any difference, but it's just like. It was multicultural. We had people from African-American, we had people from, from an Indian-American who I'm still friends with and people from all different cultures in the same suite and, and everyone just got along good. It was the first time you like lived
1: together with different people. It's a bit of and a test if you think about it, you know, you, it's the first time you know, when you're 18 you, you're living outside of your home, yeah. you're living with people you don't know, and you're living far away from home from any kids, so it's a really, it's a real test. But I think you know Bryant, at least for me, it, it was that size, right size school where right. you didn't feel like a number, but you also weren't like you know around the corner from your house, so you'd have to run home. You really had to kind of be independent, but you also felt like you were part of a community. Mm. And and I, I really noticed that when we get together now, people who haven't seen each other for thirty or forty years, it's almost like they're right back, they're friends, and it's like they never left.
0: Now when we also in college, it's very funny. I think I was like the, one of the few people that actually wanted to study. <laughs> <laughs> my all my sweet mates did things like during the day, um, and they like crammed at the last minute and actually went to class and actually studied. It was like the weirdest thing. <laughs> I actually like did I miss something because everyone was having so much? Fun. <laughs> but I actually learned a lot, which I was because like, the class was so small. And then if you take uh, let's say what I did is I took I took calculus in Albany. It's huge classes. I was I was failing the class. I dropped out of it. Went to all. Were here, Brian. I was getting A's because the class was so personal, it was so much easier to know the so, teacher and get the extra help and right. it was a totally different world than these big classes and this means college colleges you get lost, yeah. totally right. lost. Yeah. Okay, one of the things we always also do in the show is we have some weird facts. So, mm-hmm. did you know the Incas were the first civilization to eliminate hunger? No. Mm-hmm. See that thing? So, and two-thirds of life in this world is microorganisms. See, you've got some education here, wow. you know, that, That's Brian College thing. We'll also <laughs> do something different too. We also talk about since the election's coming up for president, we talk about qualities of what we want in the next president. And what I thought was very interesting, I thought about is, is we want a, a president that knows how to play the game of poker. When I mean the game of poker, I mean they have to know when to which of the cards and when to pull in. You know went to fold thing, yeah so yeah. and i I think that that 's an important thing they make, they can 't go too far where they lose the whole thing, and they can't so what do you, what do you think about that
1: well Concept. i yeah, I think part of the reason why I think uh, people go into public service is because. They're, they're, they can negotiate, they can see things from other people's perspective. I think people who are really hardcore and it's like their way of the highway, they'll probably find it difficult to go, you know, to become a president or something like that because you do have to kind of you know, compromise sometimes. So I think um, one of the nice things about I think being here at Bryant, because there's so many different kinds of people, you realize that your point of view isn't the only point of view. And you, and you say, you know what, I, I can respect that. I may not agree with it, but I can respect it. And you can find some common ground.
2: Like? yeah I would 100% agree I think people that go into that public service are passionate about having an impact and and helping others and improving the life that we're in and they have specific ideas about it but there is a, a, a moment of different ideas and in um, like any environment when you take different ideas and you merge them together giving up a little bit but you get better that when you recognize that and you focus on the merging the different ideas into one better idea, then everybody benefits.
0: Yeah, I, and but I, as I was saying, on a different angle too, if I must say, the poker player also knows how, knows as I said before, has to up the ante. You know, you can't always concede what you believe or whatever, and you have to know how to play the game. So I think that's a, an important part of being quote a leader that you have to know when to you can keep you know, putting the, uh, rolling the dice, you might say. I also want to know, do you have any experiences in life that were difficult? Because audience, you know, we're in difficult times right now. And maybe O'Brien College gave you some inspiration. Or maybe you know somebody who was able to get help because of the experience they had here or, or any alumni. Do you like to share anything with
2: the audience? Hmm i got to think about it, I don't
1: know, if anything comes to you. Well, I mean, while I was here at Bryant, one of my roommates did experience a couple of losses within a year. He lost his dad and his brother. And so, you know, that kind of grounds you a bit. It makes you really realize, you know, it, it, college is fun, right, lots of stuff, but when a family member dies or, or a member of your, you know, your suite mate's family, it kind of grounds you and it makes you realize, you know, that... You know, there's other things in life that are more important. And so I always remember, um, Bruce, whenever I'm in a difficult spa, I, I always remember the people who, who are not with us, right? Our, 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 you know, our classmates, and, and I just remember and appreciate them and I thank them because I know things could be far worse because they're not here, and they would trade places with me if they they could. So I just kind of try to put things in perspective, and uh, that was early on in my freshman year, so um, it really made me appreciate not only my my sweet mate, but his family and and what he was going through. We're adding a new segment today to the show.
0: Just for you. (laughs) Right now, on the show, we're gonna talk about some of the issues that are coming up, and how you would think we could solve it. And what I have right now in front of me is. Initially, it's affecting a lot of Americans now. The, the, the problem with fentanyl—it's killing a lot of our citizens. Uh, what can be done to stop this crisis going on in this country?
1: Well, I'll throw my two cents in, most real quick. Uh, I, I went, and got back my MBA about five years ago, and at that time, um, it was—it was—it was the point where um, many of the pharmaceutical companies that had been distributing. Um, Oxycontin and oxycodone and fentanyl, just, you know, liberally, and they weren't being held accountable. And just in the last couple of years, you've seen them become accountable. The problem, though, is that there was all these years where it was just readily available. As a matter of fact, one of the pharmaceutical companies, uh, the complaint against them was that every time a patient would have a problem with the drug, they'd say the solution is to prescribe a higher dosage. So it is a problem, where I live in Oregon, a lot of the students, high school students, um, you know, they're taking that, they're taking other things, and it's a real issue. And I think we really need to get back to basics where, you know, not only the teachers, but the families, the parents, We've got to, you know, get really on top of this early. We think kids maybe are experimenting it at 17 or 18. They could be exposed to it at 12 or 13. So we really need to kind of get back to, you know, the more of the educating our children fairly young. They see these things online. They may have not tried it yet, but then that's just a step away from trying it. So we have to be more proactive than I think we have been. I mean, I right. Sorry.
2: I was going to say that um, th- that is, I think, where the real horrible story is is that we're losing young people to accidental fentanyl exposure. And uh, and so education and awareness can really handle that from one perspective. And on the other side, we really have to find where is this illegal fentanyl drugs coming into the country and how do we uh, minimize that as much as possible.
0: I think what needs my point is I think that those people that are selling this are basically selling a bullet mm-hmm. to yes. kill somebody. And the penalty for selling it has to be much more strict. It can't be a, a tap on the wrist. It's gotta be really serious. Well, it's, it's murder. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. not it's not the guy they the smoking know what marijuana. Doing. And, and it's a bizarre thing to me because it's just like you know, the drug dealer, or whatever you're selling life, you want your person to survive so they buy more of their medicines or whatever you want to sell. In fact, it's killing them. Killing people, and so I'm just like, why sell something that you're killing? Your customers,
2: you're killing your customer, yeah. right? And, and it doesn't make sense. It
0: doesn't make sense. But I think what they do is, I think well, if I know correctly, it's it's so cheap to make and so cheap, so they give you a little bit, and they get addicted that they don't they make a bigger profit on this. Right. So what we need to do, I hate to say this, in a business thing, is you got to make it, the cost go up a bit more, so it doesn't become that type of problem. You know. That's another thing. I, uh, yeah. In today's times, also we always try to give some good advice, and I'm going to steal one from you, by the way. Okay. Uh, so I was going. To, I brought it up before. I brought up before. I, this was written up before you were here. Oh. Okay. So, but <laughs> I think getting involved, if you can, in some type venture capital type program, like the young lady was speaking to me a minute ago about <laughs> whether. It is getting a group of people together and investing in something as a business and taking the brains of everybody that have different points of view and try to invest in a type of business might be another way to make some money in these times if the economy is a little rough and also exciting because you're investing in something that you actually enjoy, which is always a great thing to do. So we have two drinks here. These are from, where are they from?
1: They're Negronis made by uh, Dieter Cam, who's the class of 1988 alumnus, who's making drinks today.
0: We're gonna we're gonna go over there and test it out on myself a little later on. This is a mixed drink, so let me see what you think. And this is Alumni
2: Weekend, right? Alumni at weekend. Bryant, it's Bryant's so Alumni that's, Weekend. I right. said that. I already said that. the beginning. Okay. Uh, they, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just reminding everybody. If anybody <laughs>
0: wants to know about your coaching and your your wine tasting, what can they how can they find out more about you?
2: Um, yeah, you can look me up on LinkedIn and reach me that way. That's probably the same thing for you. Would you like yeah. to
0: give your name or information on that?
2: Yeah, where's my, okay. You can spell it out for There you. it is, Marissa Kreen, Crean, C-R-E-A-N, <laughs> so yeah, absolutely.
1: And- Oh, yeah, my website is vindevin.com. My name's Vin, so it's V I N D E V I N.com, and that's where you can find information about wine and wine tasting and food. And you're available
0: mm-hmm. to come to different places. Oh, yeah,
1: I've done wine tasting and wine events in Long- on Long Island in mm-hmm. and Massapequa and Ranconcoma all the way to Seattle. You have a good taste bud that, and you're coaching <laughs> all over, right there? All over, okay. anything, yeah. We always like to
0: end on a happy note, and one of the things I all, as you get more Thank successful you. in life, Whatever you do, there's going to be haters. And there's going to be people that have honest criticism. Most important thing that I would recommend them do is to have a great filter. To know what people are saying and to filter out what doesn't make any sense. And stick with those points that can help you. For example, I learned recently that I was speaking fast. I got that from different people. So I worked a little harder in doing it. Some of the people were a little bit more direct and some were a little more subtle, but the same message came through. So take the advice of different people, but filter out the ones that are hurtful to you and just get the main point it is, and be successful. God willing, that will work out for you. Thank you all for joining us for another episode of The Bud Rebel Show.